Thanks for tuning in to the Red Clinic Podcast. My name is Dr. Schwalen, licensed psychologist. I'm an eating disorder treatment expert, and I'm going to do what we do best, provide some education on eating disorders. Today, I'm going to talk about picky eating. Lots of parents and just adults in general will ask me about picky eating. They wonder about it in their kids. They wonder about it in themselves or in their spouses. And there's a lot to say about picky eating. Picky eating can sometimes be a normal part of life, and other times it can be a cause for concern. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to speak to you today about just picky eating when it's pretty normal and a normal part of life, and then also a very specific eating disorder called avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. And in the eating disorder world, we like to shorten that to an acronym, ARFID, A-R-F-I-D. So avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, it's a very selective type of eating disorder and it's a special kind of eating disorder because it's pretty different than all the rest. But let's just talk about picky eating for a second. So it's very normal for children and toddlers and young kids to be picky eaters. I think parents take this question to pediatricians all the time. And pediatricians commonly will tell them, you know what, this is developmentally, you know, pretty normal or appropriate. Let's just wait and see because your child will most likely grow out of it. Um, There's information online. If you Google this, you'll find that there's lots of suggestions. You know, just expose your child to different uh, foods over and over again. Allow them to um, interact with those foods or see you eating those foods. Let them take food off your plate while you're eating. Um, Whatever interest they show in that food is a part of natural exploration as they learn to integrate more and more food into their repertoire. So picky eating can be normal. It can also be seen sometimes as like side effects with different medications or um, just kind of thing, something that a child might be trying on to exert control. So it may not even be that they don't necessarily like a food. They may just be trying to see what they can get away with. So maybe one day if your toddler eats oatmeal, but then the next day they'll only eat it if you put a bunch of candy in it, that could be a really good example of your child just trying to see how much they can get away with. I usually will talk to parents about, you know, their gut instinct. Parents, you really do know your child. And your parenting instinct is usually right on. So if you are concerned about your child's picky eating, if you've noticed that your child can't go to birthday parties or have lunch at school or be in social situations without eating just the only foods that they will eat, if you're worried that their growth is stunted or they're not where they need to be um, physically, If you're just kind of concerned because it's gone on for too long and it really hasn't changed, despite the pediatrician's reassurance that your child will grow out of it, then tap into that instinct. It's always parents who have those instincts, and they're usually spot on. So when I work with parents clinically, um, for a child who does have this diagnosis, it's usually because they've said to me, for years we've gone to the pediatrician, We've brought up the fact that our child is a picky eater, and although they continued to grow and they were meeting their milestones on that growth chart, we just knew that there was more to it. And so listen to that gut feeling, and if you really think that something more is going on than just 
normal picky eating, go ahead and call a professional. But let's talk about what ARFID is. Avoidant restrictive food intake disorder is is di- is kind of considered to be a newer eating disorder. Now, that doesn't mean it hasn't really been around for a long time because it has. It just means that all the researchers got together and finally named this thing that we've been seeing in kids and adults. So ARFID, or Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder, after it got a name, actually started getting a lot more attention. So in the research world, you'll see where many, many years went by where there was like hardly any research or treatment for this disorder. And now, lately, you're starting to see more and more research on this topic, more people who have heard of it or have awareness on it. Pediatricians have sometimes heard of it now. And there's different um, treatments for it. One of the things that I do at the Red Clinic is um, a a treatment protocol that essentially I've just entitled the ARFID protocol. It's a program that I've created um, with my background in pediatric psychology, behavioral principles, eating disorder expertise, and just an understanding of family systems. And it's an 8 to 10 week program with a 90% success rate. So what I mean by 90% success rate is that 9 out of 10 families that I treat have seen um, an integration of three or more foods into their child's repertoire within 8 to 10 weeks. So they're increasing food variety, and if weight restoration is a part of their treatment plan, they're also gaining that weight and doing what they need to do to keep growing. Most of the kids I work with, though, end up incorporating about eight to 10 new foods into their repertoire by the end of the eight weeks. So it's pretty awesome to see that kind of progress, but it's also because the families are doing really great work and they understand the program. So let's just define what ARFID is. It's kind of picky eating taken to an extreme. The, the true hallmark to most eating disorders is that it's an unhealthy relationship with food There's a lot of emotions and anxiety involved in that relationship with food. And for most of the eating disorders, like anorexia, bulimia, or atypical anorexia, there is an intense fear of weight gain and body image issues that are associated with that diagnosis. For ARFID, we don't see the body image issues, and there's no fear of weight gain. But we absolutely still see a bunch of anxiety, and emotional distress when it comes to eating food. So there's different types of ARFID, and I will go into that in a minute in terms of the different subtypes of ARFID. But let's just talk about what picky eating is and how it can go to an extreme. So it is, it's picky eating. It's very selective eating. It's avoidance of food intake. It's restrictive food intake, right? And it can lead to malnutrition, and even presenting as underweight. It doesn't have to be a presentation of being underweight though. Clients can have ARFID and still be in their normal weight range or even overweight, but because they're only eating a handful of foods, they can absolutely still be malnourished even if they are in their healthy weight range. Sometimes kids with ARFID can also be dependent on tube feeds. So they may have a gazonastral tube, uh, like a tube through their nose, 
They could have a G button, which is a tube in their abdominal area. Um, and so tube feeding can be a common issue with kids who have ARFID. Another thing that is absolutely important is that ARFID is occurring outside of any kind of medical condition. So a lot of times when families get to me, it's kind of unfortunate, but at the same time, I think it's okay and sometimes can be a good thing. They've, they've kind of gone down this medical journey. So they may have thought, like, my kid has a bunch of GI issues. You know, my child's stomach hurts all the time when they eat or they vomit all the time when they eat or whatever it may be. And so we've been to this specialist and that specialist, and we just can't find a reason for this problem. Or it's a really bad case of acid reflux and they're on a bunch of medications um, for constipation or, or, like I said, acid reflux or whatever it may be, but we still can't seem to pinpoint exactly what's going on. I actually prefer when, when families have gone on that journey because then they're much more likely to accept that this is not really a medical issue. It's truly a psychological issue. By the time they've gone on that medical journey and ruled everything out, it's easier to accept, you know, we need to really address the anxiety that's associated with eating, and we need to uh, get a psychologist to, to be involved in the care. So let me just talk to you a little bit about the kinds of people that ARFID can affect. We do see ARFID affecting younger and younger children. So usually around the ages of four and five years old, is when I start to diagnose ARFID. Anything earlier than that, it's more, it, it's more appropriate to kind of call that a feeding disorder rather than an eating disorder. So feeding disorders, you know, they really occur from like infancy to about age three or so. Those can include issues with chewing or swallowing, um, just really the mechanics of eating. For a baby, it might be the mechanics of latching, if they're nursing, things of those uh, nature. But with an eating disorder, we usually see if a child maybe had a feeding disorder when they were younger, the anxiety can increase as a child gets older and they have more understanding of what's going on. So once that anxiety is now associated with eating for whatever reason, we could more likely call it ARFID. So yes, we see it in young children. We also see ARFID occur in boys just as much as it occurs in girls. And some research even suggests that it's, it's occurring more in boys than it is in girls. Um, we see that kids with ARFID, like I mentioned earlier, tend to have a medical history just because parents didn't really know what was going on. Or if there was some kind of feeding issue, they've gotten help for their child in the medical world for those issues. So there's an intense medical history sometimes associated with ARFID. And then we also know that anxiety absolutely goes along with it. And so does um, maybe being on the autism spectrum. That can be associated with it sometimes. The reason I bring that up is because sensory aversion can be a part of ARFID, but I'm going to explain that more in just a second. So apart from kids, boys, and girls, ARFID also can affect teenagers and adults. And I have treated all, all types of people and all types of ages for ARFID. It's really interesting when it shows up in adults, and I'll explain more examples of that in just a moment. 
But first I want to talk about the different subtypes. So there's four main subtypes of ARFID that, you know, from my experience are, are really important to classify so that if you can pinpoint exactly the subtype of ARFID, you really know where to go next um, in terms of the treatment plan. So in different sources, you might see five subtypes. They may be called something different. The reason that I'm listing these four is because in my experience and in my own work, these four really seem to capture the gist of ARFID and really make sense to what's going on with the types of clients that I've treated. So the first subtype is the sensory food aversion. This is like a young kid and they may not have autism. There are kiddos out there who are sensory averse and are not on the spectrum. So this is a young kid who's just kind of a sensory kid. Ever since they were young, they've been sensory averse. Maybe they get overstimulated. They might be that kiddo that has trouble walking in the grass barefoot. They may be that child who doesn't like to wear pants. They prefer shorts. Maybe they don't like the way tags feel on clothing. Maybe it's really hard to give them a bath because they don't like the way water feels in their face. Or it's really scary to hear the toilet flush. They might be that kiddo that really doesn't like certain textures. So when they take certain bites of food, it's very aversive to them. Or they're very sensitive to smell or the way something feels or even sounds. And so all of that can play into their relationship with food. Now, a sensory food aversion can also be a super taster. This is a very interesting phenomenon where children actually experience flavors in a much more intense way than the average person. And so a speech therapist who has specialty in feeding and eating disorders would be able to identify a super taster. Um, Whenever a kid has a sensory food aversion, it can really play out at a young age of parents figuring that out pretty quickly. They might understand that your, you know, their child has a certain preference for certain textures. Maybe it's crunchy over mushy or vice versa. And they start to make those accommodations. They would much rather that their child eat anything, right, to keep growing and to stay healthy than to push the issue of the sensory food aversion. So I'm going to ask certain questions during the assessment to really find out if this is the type of ARFID that somebody has. The person who has a sensory food aversion has become a picky eater because it causes a lot of anxiety to experience certain sensory experiences. It can be very overstimulating and uncomfortable for that person. Usually when a sensory food aversion is present, a speech therapist with specialty in feeding and eating needs to be involved on the team, as does a therapist and a dietitian. So that also helps me build the correct team if I know what classification the person has. Post-traumatic feeding disorder is the second classification. This one is very interesting because there are times when very young children can develop this for an experience they've never even had themselves, but they may have seen someone else go through it. So this is usually picky eating that occurs because of a fear of choking or vomiting. That can be the most common reasons for this type of ARFID. Now, I have an example of a child who actually never choked before, 
but they were watching a TV show and saw a cartoon character choke. And because they saw that, they started to become afraid that it could happen to them. The child was very young, about six years old, and ended up needing hospitalization for malnourishment because the picky eating became so intense that their health absolutely became at risk. It can get very serious when left unchecked. ARFID, secondary to a concurrent medical condition, is when we see picky eating because someone had a medical condition that caused it to be very uncomfortable to eat. So this might be undiagnosed Crohn's disease or celiac disease. Despite the diagnosis and the um, treatment for that issue, the person still becomes afraid to eat. And that's because anxiety was part of the pattern or has become ingrained. And so now it's associated with eating. And even if the client or the person doesn't have pain anymore with eating, they are so afraid of that because that pattern has become so ingrained that they end up developing very severe picky eating. And then a general food aversion is the last classification. This is sometimes referred to as infantile anorexia. General food aversion is someone who maybe since birth has just really never shown interest in food. And so as a baby, they didn't really nurse or take a bottle. They didn't really let on when they were hungry. Just kind of a general food aversion or very low interest in eating. Um, I've treated an 18-year-old that actually fit the criteria for ARFID under this classification. And it had been going on her whole life. Because she was so malnourished and such a picky eater, she was also very depressed and her mood was absolutely affected from the malnourishment. So we were treating her for depression and for ARFID. And we had to really work with her to help her understand that, hey, just as you get up and put your makeup on every day to get ready, you also need to add eating on your list of things to do to get that done. Because of the general food aversion, she just never really thought to do it. So there's all different reasons why someone can be a picky eater. One thing that I want you to hear is that when someone has ARFID, the picky eating becomes completely non-functional. Sometimes it can be so um, extreme that the child can, or the adult, can prefer maybe just five foods and that's all they eat. Maybe it's a certain brand of something and they will not deter from that brand. Or maybe it's the exact um, Chick-fil-A on a certain corner on this street at this time. And even when we order those chicken nuggets, if they look burnt or too crispy, I may not eat them. So what ends up happening is that family life becomes very disrupted. I see all the time with ARFID clients where the eating disorder is really running the show. Families have stopped sitting down to eat meals together. Maybe the mom or dad has become a short order cook. They're doing anything they can just to keep their child eating. And by the time they come to see me, it's really become like um, an environment of tension and conflict when it comes to eating. Going out to a restaurant is no longer a part of the picture. Um, life as they knew it just isn't happening because ARFID is running the show. Just to give you some more examples of different cases that I've treated, 
Um, I have an adult, I've had an adult client. I've had two adult clients recently, actually. One presented to me after her child was diagnosed with ARFID, she realized that she had it too. She um, had reported to me that she grew up just kind of always being a picky eater. And now as an adult, she was eating things that are considered kid foods, right? Kid foods. I don't really like classifying food like that, but in the real world, that's what we do. So she was only eating things like hamburger helper, sloppy joe, chicken nuggets, mac and cheese, never touched a vegetable in her entire life. And so at, you know, being in her mid-40s and having a teenager who was also being treated for ARFID, she too wanted to go through the treatment herself. I have another adult that I've worked with who um, ended up actually getting a medical procedure And so before the medical procedure, was eating a wide variety of food and never really had any issue with eating. But after the procedure, she felt a lot of pain. And because of the pain and because of how the pain was always associated with eating, even after full recovery from that procedure, she was very afraid to eat. All she could remember was the intense level of pain that she had experienced whenever she ate right after the procedure. And it was very difficult for her to be able to eat a wide variety of food again. So therapy really had to focus on reducing and managing anxiety symptoms and working through exposures with her so that she knew how to get over those fear feelings and get back to normal functioning and eating well again. A child that I worked with who had like maybe a post-traumatic feeding experience, she actually ended up as an infant, choking on her mother's milk every time her mom would nurse her. And that was because mom had a very fast letdown and was an overproducer with milk. But mom was a new mom and she didn't realize that. So from birth, the child was pretty much trained to expect choking every time she ate. And it was very traumatic for this baby. Mom had a lot of guilt because of it. She didn't realize that that was what was going on back when her child was a baby. And now at six, seven years old, she could think back and put the pieces together. And so in therapy, I had to work a lot with that mother, but then also help the family understand certain ways that they could get their child eating. What ended up happening to this child was she was diagnosed with cyclical vomiting syndrome as an older kid at age three and four years old because this child had learned to throw up every time after she ate, and it had started in infancy. So they had like a medical diagnosis for it, but they still didn't have a solution to the issue. By age six, seven years old, this child was very weak. She wasn't meeting growth milestones. She wanted to play, but really couldn't because she didn't have a lot of energy. She was very malnourished. And by the time this family was done with treatment, this child was eating almost everything on their parent on her parents' wish list. She was basically hanging with the rest of the family when it came to whatever mom would make. So that's the kind of cool success stories I get to see at the Red Clinic when I treat ARFID. The last thing that I want to say about kids with picky eating or adults with picky eating is that it's really important to understand that even if your child is still growing, your child's body is very resilient. 
the, the human body can adapt to almost all situations because we're basically meant like made to survive for a while, right? Before we can't. And so even if a, if a child's body continues to grow and you're concerned about picky eating because it just doesn't seem to be improving, maybe your pediatrician's not as concerned yet, listen to your gut feeling. Because somebody with ARFID can be underweight in their normal weight range or even overweight. But that doesn't mean just because they're in a normal weight range that they aren't experiencing the effects of malnourishment. So picky eating, when does it become a problem? Again, listen to that gut feeling and uh, consider avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. If you never have, if you want more information, please always call our offices at the Red Clinic or talk to a professional. Thank you so much.